You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network brought to you by Onyx Hunt and Onyx Maps. Now, just like a good pair of boots, something that you can rely on, Onyx is that hunting product. I, I really feel that Onyx, the app on the phone, is something that every serious hunter needs. This thing has so many, so many positive functionalities that... It, it, it's really a no-brainer you know, to spend the money and get this app for your phone. It allows you to know where you are at all times. Now, that may not sound like something so important on a smaller track of property, but when you are on a very big piece of ground, let's say out west on thousands of acres of public, it's important to know where you're at. But at the same time, on a micro level, it's very important to know where you're at on a small scale too, as far as let's say a whitetail hunter is concerned with wind direction and knowing what topo what the topo lines are doing in that uh, terrain feature that you're sitting in. It's it's very important. So get Onyx Maps today. Download it to your phone, and if you are a first time user, you need to enter the discount code Nation Twenty. That's N A T I O N. Two zero, and you're going to save 20% off Onyx Maps. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Iowa Sportsman Podcast. I'm your host, Dan Johnson, and we have another really cool episode for you today. We're going to be talking with Dan Henderson. He is a conservation officer for the state of Iowa, and this is a topic or a podcast that is a long time in the making. I've always wanted to speak with a conservation officer for more than one reason. Uh, selfishly, when I was a kid, I wanted to be a con- conservation officer. And we talk with Dan on this episode about how he got into the role, what schooling he had before he got this position, and a whole bunch of other really cool things about the the quote-unquote nine-to-five or the not-so-nine-to-five hours that he works, what things he runs into while in the field, common mistakes made by hunters, big mistakes made by hunters and fishermen, uh, and it's just a really cool conversation about what it is, I guess, a day in the life of a conservation officer. But before we get into this episode, we got to give a shout out to our partner at Bondurant Custom Furniture. Bondurant Custom Furniture is a, uh, it's all in the name. They make customized pieces of furniture. And if you go to their uh, website, BondurantCustomFurniture.com, you will see all of the awesome custom pieces that these guys make. 
one of their specialties is they take uh, whiskey barrels and they take these whiskey barrels and they refurbish them and they make them into cool things like tables and chairs and artwork and clocks and uh, make them, you know, do them up real well. And it's really interesting. So what you need to do is go over to BondurantCustomFurniture.com and go to their gallery and just take a look at all of the pieces that these guys make. If you're interested, all their contact information is on the website and uh, you guys should go check it out. So BondurantCustomFurniture.com is where you need to go. This episode is with Dan Henderson of the Iowa Department of Natural Resources. He's a conservation officer. So sit back, relax, and enjoy this episode starting right now. In three, two, one. All right. I am here on the phone with Mr. Dan Henderson of the Iowa DNR. Dan, how you doing, man? Good. How are you? I'm doing good, man. Doing good. Um, and I, I, this is one of the first times I've ever actually uh, spoken on this particular podcast. This is the Iowa Sportsman Podcast about... Um, the Iowa Department, uh, I guess, the Iowa Department of Natural Resources, the DNR, the, the law enforcement uh, side of things. We've talked with wildlife biologists. We've talked with uh, scientists and, and stuff like that. But now I feel we're, you know, with your position, we're going to be talking to someone who has boots on the ground almost every single day. And uh, I'm excited about this. So my, my first question for you is what is your official title with the DNR? Yeah, so I'm a uh, conservation officer. Conservation with the officer. Department. Okay. Yep, yep, with the Iowa Department of Natural Resources. And, you know, and a lot of us refer to ourselves as game wardens. You know, uh, a, a lot of the older boots, um, you know, they kind of grew, grew up as game wardens and all that. And, uh, um, like, I'll still announce myself as a warden and, and all that. And we still are. But the, the thing with a conservation officer, you know, we, <clears throat> besides just doing the simple, checking of the fishing license and the hunting license and checking your pheasant to make sure that it's a male and not a hand, you know, yeah. um, there's, there's a lot more now with our job, you know, as far as right now we're, we're riding around checking snowmobilers in the ditch, you know, making sure that they're safe, making sure that they're operating good and safe. We do that with boating in the summer, you know, um, and then, uh, hunter education courses are big too. And so, so as a conservation as a whole, it's kind of the law enforcement aspects that we look at. And so we used to conservation officer here, you know, I, mean, I don't know, yeah. 15 years or so. Yeah. So how long have you been a conservation officer? Uh, I have been on since uh, June of 2010. Okay. So 10 years. 10 yeah. years. Okay. So, you know, back when you were deciding what you wanted your career to be, um, did you ever think that you, you know, that conservation officer was going to be in the books for you? Or is it something that just happened at by chance? Uh, you know, a lot of a lot of effort and a lot of pre-work gets into these conservation officer jobs as far as experience goes, you know. Once you decide kind of this is the career that you want to go, and the thing that really led me to, and it's just like any simple boy growing up with dad and grandpa, right? When you're out there squirrel hunting and deer hunting, you're like, this is super cool. You know, I love to hunt. And probably I kind of woke myself up right around 
call, I would say college, uh, early college, uh, when I knew this is what I wanted to do. I either wanted to be like a conservation officer or a park ranger. Park ranger was one of the biggest things, you know, because we, we went camping as a kid all the time. And I was like, hey, that'd be kind of cool. And, and uh, considered myself to be a pretty personal guy. And so I thought, you know, that, that'd be nice. And one day, one day I was like kind of going down, taking the, taking the classes for conservation management and all that. And I was like, you know, I was like, I think the, I think the game board, I think the conservation officer thing is what I really want to go down. And because I, I, I kind of call it my nine ten rule, you know, I could have been the 90% uh, that of people that hunt fish trap, you know, and love and love to do that every day. Uh, or I could, or I could kind of go down that 10% road that actually helps preserve those resources for people uh, for a continuing education, right. you know, and I thought, you know, that'd be kind of cool. You know, I could be the guy that, you know, could have possibly maybe make a small difference in our population. And, and so that's when I was in, I knew I couldn't sit at a desk. There's no way I could be surrounded by a cubicle. I'm just an outdoors guy being, I was an Eagle scout and all that. And I was just like, you know, I've got to be outdoors. And so I definitely knew I needed, I wanted to do, uh, something with natural resources you know and and i was like this is definitely the career that i want to go down okay all right where did you go to school at to get your degree yeah so my overall conservation management bachelor of science degree was uh was uh received at uh, upper iowa university okay. in northeast iowa up, up in fayette the old peacocks uh, the old peacocks, absolutely. Yes, <laughs> I did one year at SCC, uh, just a community college in Burlington, and then I did three years at an Upper Iowa U, uh, University. And for anyone like around this area, or even listening nationwide, I guess in Iowa, one of the two top schools for conservation is actually Upper Iowa and Iowa State. Oh, cool. And then there's uh, in Missouri, there's Northwest Missouri State. That's that's a pretty big one too. Yeah. So kind of in this central area, one of the three colleges that yeah, it doesn't have to be a conservation officer, but just, you know, at least for the natural resources side of the career, those are three really good colleges to look at. Right. Now, okay, so I remember back in the day, and this was a while ago, uh, you know, because I, th- there was a part of me that wanted to really be a conservation officer and I'm not really sure what happened when I decided I wanted to go do something different with my life but uh, I always said to myself hey I want to be a conservation officer and then I you hear you start to hear the stories uh, of a conservation officer what they have to go through in a day like hey can I check your hunting license guy pulls a gun on you and starts shooting you know whatever you know those those crazy stories and then I, I I heard the the stories about, oh man, there are no jobs available basically until someone retires. They're in that position for for life, uh, and then yeah. you know the um, the turnover on these positions is so long that you have to basically just be in the right place at the right time, or maybe go to a less desirable location, or go to a different state. Even, um, yeah. How long did it take for you to fall into this role? Um, did you have to have a, a, a role within the DNR before you moved into the conservation officer position? I did, absolutely. You know, first, so like anyone interested in this career, like um, you, you, you really can't get out of high school 
and even get just straight out of college with no experience and put in for your first application and actually get hired. Uh, with Iowa, one thing as far as the hiring process goes, what they really want to see is they want to see, obviously, that you obtain the knowledge and you've received your bachelor science diploma in at least some sort of conservation uh, field. And once that is done, they you know they want to see how long, how many years of experience you have in this related field. You know, have you right. volunteered for our local chapters such as uh, DU, uh, Pheasants Forever? Uh, you know, do you volunteer or work during the summers for your county conservation boards? And simply, just kind of a little bit of a path about me. I started in 2005 at Lake Geode State Park. Um, and I actually kind of started as a seasonal night patrol ranger. And what I did is I got there about two thirty, three o'clock in the afternoon. Um, and I simply would just check the campground, see if anybody new came in. And then, uh, right around dinner time, I scrubbed the bathroom houses, shower houses, kind of did, did all that thing, cleaned up the park pretty good. And then, would uh, do camping fees and all that stuff. And then the nighttime is, and then uh, would uh, in, in the evening also would check fishing license stuff, but then, you know, kind of would check like the nighttime laws and stuff, you know, make sure nobody's coming in after the park after 1030 and all that. So I did that for one summer. And then what's great about Iowa department of natural resources law enforcement side is we actually offer what they call water patrol seasonal officers during the summertime and it's basically from holiday to holiday so it goes um memorial day to labor day and what you do is you operate a decal boat all summer long on big major bodies of water anywhere from the mississippi river to uh coralville reservoir uh okaboji has like 10 to 12 officers uh raft and all of those big bodies of water and what you do, you know, is you just you you do a simple uh, boat safety checks, life jackets, horn or whistle, type four throwable, uh, make for sure that the uh, op- the operators are operating in a safe manner. Now, you, you know, as a seasonal, you don't take care of the uh, under the influence side. You would call a full time officer, but uh, those jobs really consist of you know checking for the safety side of things and then checking for fishing licenses too and so i actually did that for uh three summers i did one summer in muscatine and then two summers in burlington got you uh and then uh on top on top of that my last two years of water patrol i actually um was a full-time naturalist at lee county conservation board so and so the last two years um i was uh before i got hired on i was actually working uh, seven to three, three, three thirty for Lee County Conservation Naturalist, where, where we went to the different schools and communities and programs and stuff, you know, and taught different nature programs, recycling, right. you know, and all that. And then, and then when I would get done with that, I would work four to eleven midnight um, as a water patrol officer on the Mississippi. And Ooh. so, uh, and what I was trying to do there is, you know, is is I was trying to get as much experience as I possibly could because I love the I love the education part and I and I feel like as a conservation officer now I do a lot more programming than maybe some officers just because I wanted to continue that programming with the law enforcement side. Yeah. But don't get me wrong, I still love the law enforcement side too. Yeah. That's and pretty so interesting. That's I, yeah. So that's what a person's gotta do is that you know, they you have to get all that experience, you know, and just keep 
continuing and continuing. And that, and, and that's why you do that because you, earlier you had said, yeah, it's, it's, it's kind of what I call a 30 and out career. Yeah. Once you're in, you're in it for 30 years. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's, I mean, they give you a vehicle, they give you a phone, they give, you know, they, I have two counties. Um, and, uh, they say, you know, go out and protect our resources. Yeah. So. Yeah. Um, so that kind of, I can, I remember back in the day, like a long time ago, you know, when, you know, I, I'm sure you guys are affected by this almost on a yearly basis, but there was more than, you know, there's 99 counties in Iowa. There were more than 99 or there were, there were probably less than 99, but closer to 99 than what we are today, as far as the number of conservation officers uh, protecting a single county. And I know that, um, you protect more than one county. Um, is, is that because that's what you can do in a, in a single day or week, or is that because of budget constraints? Uh, yeah. So it's, uh, there's, there's, it's, it's kind of yes and yes. Yeah. <laughs> so as, as a law enforcement certified peace officer, and we can talk about this later or whatnot, but part of, part of once you get hired with the department of natural resources for the law enforcement position, uh, you actually have to go to an Academy, uh, at camp, Dodge, which is in Johnston, Iowa, the suburb of Des Moines. Um, you actually go to a 16-week uh, law enforcement academy. It's the exact same academy that the city PD goes through, the sheriff's department go through, and um, you get trained on the law enforcement, just strictly the law enforcement side of things. And and with that, being things were a state certified peace officer, and with our with our conservation positions. Um, we can actually, we're state conservation officers. So if they needed a, actually just a couple of weeks ago, they, they put an email out and needed officers to help out with the big, uh, snowmobile, um, ice project at uh, Lake Okaboji, actually way up in Northwest Iowa. And so we can go up there and assist, you know, do our law enforcement duties and all that just because we're a state certified peace officer. However, we are assigned to counties. Got you. And so the budget, the budget part of it, of the job was, see, I used to be Henry County, just straight Henry County used to be the position. Um, now the officer before me, he would go over and help out in Des, in Des Moines County a lot just because the, the river counties seem to be a little bit busier just because you have, you know, you have a lot of voting activities and stuff like that. And, um, but, um, when I got hired on, we actually, they actually kind of, they gave me Jefferson County. So I have Henry and Jefferson. And the thinking of that was to, um, um, kind of spread us out more with our duties, but at the same time we're working, we're working, we're working more because we got more County. So, yeah. Yeah. And I'm sure there's days <laughs> I just, I just think of how much I move around during the, the hunting seasons. Right. And then I just think about how much you guys have to move around during the hunting seasons to answer every single phone call, whether it's like on the furthest side of Jefferson, you know, furthest West side of Jefferson County or the furthest East side of Henry County, you're, you guys are putting on some major miles in a, in a season or year. 
Yeah. Yes. Yes. Absolutely. And it's you know, and our, I mean, the fall. I mean, I always say October first to basically January tenth. My wife knows that. Uh, um, she never. I mean, she'll get a hold of me by phone, but that's about it usually. So yeah. just because you know we're we're always out, we're always out in our counties and stuff, and um. There's, I mean, there's countless nights where they're in bed and, and I'm out working. And, and, it's, and it's because with a job like this, we don't have set hours and schedules. It's, you know, we have to set, we set our own schedules because we know when the activity is. Yeah. And so, you know, obviously uh, the first part of November, I wouldn't be at 10 o'clock at night checking voters on the river. Because right. that's not where that is. You know, you're going to be sitting up on a hill somewhere waiting for somebody to shine a spotlight out on out into it, uh, the field because you know it's what we call shining season yeah and uh and yeah and so you know and so when you put on top of checking bow hunters and you know you know um that, that time of year we get either a lot of tip calls or uh amongst amongst investigation on properties or whatnot you know we come across somebody that has a bait in front of their stand or whatever and so you you have to deal with that unlawful take as well as somebody calls you and says hey i just caught two bobcats uh you know can i get sighty tags for them yeah and uh you know so then and lo and behold it's never usually when that happens i'm in henry county and the bobcats are to be tagged in jefferson county <laughs> yeah so, yeah yeah so, so we'll put a lot of miles on our vehicles and it's not we don't drive around all the time it's just you know we're we're covering a lot. So. Yeah. How do you guys prioritize your day, especially during the busy seasons? Yeah, absolutely. Um, that's again, it's, it's kind of one of those where, um, it's just like with anything, right? Like what's most important. Uh, one thing, um, you know, do you have a call, um, or are you watching a particular field or a particular, uh, property that you've got some information on that uh, let's just say some non-resident hunters are in the area you know and they've been known to maybe not have tags all the time and so you start your day uh one thing i like to do is i like to try to you know try to drive by that property especially in that time frame to see if i can see vehicles or whatnot you know and then if i don't doesn't look like no one's there uh then you know then you go down to your checklist and you know are you in that area where there's a where there's an otter to be tagged or a bobcat to be tagged? Uh, so then you get that stuff done, and then it, it never fails. I actually have a list on my computer. It's just a Microsoft Word program, and it says things to work on, and I just add to it every single day. And so I just kind of go down and just kind of, I just do, I just delete things when when they're done. But it's it's never been it's ne- I, I've never had a complete blank page uh, since i've been doing this for 10 years because every single day i add something new yeah yeah what uh, what are the most stressful parts of this job yeah absolutely um the um this like, like i said this is the career to me that i mean it's you know it's one thing where a guy always says you know a, a little boy always says i want to be a firefighter when i grow up you know you, you know and a lot of times people they do their dreams and all that stuff. And, and, and this is, I mean, this is, this is, this is the exact career that I've always wanted to do. And there's one thing that I could push aside every single time, but I don't, don't it, I don't, uh, I, I don't because 
we have to have family closure, but it's anything with investigating, um, um, I guess drownings or recoveries or if there's a snowmobile activity, uh, you know, when somebody hit hit a culvert in a ditch and, you know, and, and they are dead on arrival or, you know, or, or anything like that. And it would be just, I mean, that would be that for a cop and for a sheriff deputy trooper. And I like those just, you know, the hardest things are, um, going and knocking on someone's door and their spouse comes to the door and tell them that that they've been in in an accident and, you know, and, and, uh, and, uh, you know, drowning, dragging a body of water, knowing that somebody went under without a life jacket, you know, and they've been there for, you know, even half of a day and knowing that at that point in time, it's, um, it's now a, it's now a recovery and not a rescue. Right. Right. So, and like I say, the only, the only thing that keeps me going on those is, is I know I'm, I'm the closure guy, you know, like yeah. I'm the guy that I think the families have said and everything has said in, it's now time for us to do our job and use our equipment, you know, and put it to rest. And so, right. um, the, that would be the only, thing, the only part of the job that you're like, yeah, you know, it is what it is. So. Yeah. Yeah. Now, I'm sure, you know, throughout a season and throughout your 10 years, you've had to deal with some people who are just, you know, I I don't know. I don't know any other way to say it except just pieces of shit, (laughs) because, (laughs) uh, you know, like, oh, no, I didn't I didn't shine this deer. I didn't bait this deer. I didn't take, you know, more crappie out of this lake than I than I'm supposed to. When when you walk up to a boat or you walk up to a guy who has a big buck or whatever in, in his bed, do, do they just say typically, uh, you got me like, Hey dude, or do they always fight with you? You know, that's, uh, it really honestly is 50, 50. Every time you walk up or every time you go to investigate something, I literally flip the quarter before I leave the truck. Cause I'm like, okay, who's going to win me? You know, and because, kind of 50 50 it's uh um a lot of it haunt has to do with um i guess the officer and no no kind of space officer and we i always tell these people like i go and knock on their door you know hey you know like were you out last night you know um looking for deer you know like I know, I know all of those. I usually know a lot of my answers to the questions before I start, because that's what a good officer is going to do. Like, like yeah. we're, we're going to investigate. So that way, if somebody tries to trump us or someone's going to say, no, well, well, I'll tell you what, what if I have this information and say, you know, it's, it's maybe a little bit higher than what you think, you know, what if you just come out, tell me what the heck happened and we, you know, and, what what you're doing there is you're just not going to someone's door and, you know, trying to, trying to strong arm their call. Right. Yeah. Like, like, you know, cause like they don't want that. Like, and so a lot of us officers, we go, you know, we do our homework, we do our research. We really try. And a, a lot of us, I guarantee you, um, it'll start as a knock and talk, but if it gets to the point to where, you know, Hey, I need to look for this deer. We got we, we we got the search warrants already signed and sitting in our truck. Yeah. You know, 
a lot of it is the reason why they're simple knockatalks. We don't have to really go that route is because, hey, you know, like we all mess up. I'm only 34 years old. Like I, I, I'm still young, you know, like what, you know, what part of the better side got to you last night, you yeah. know, and, and things like that. And so, um, but I tell you the ones that really get me, like the investigation things are pretty much like, I haven't really had nothing too. I haven't really had a real hard just because, it, like I said, we we've done our homework and things like that, and and they've realized. And one of my biggest things is when I come to the to the doors, hey, like I'm not coming here just because I want to have, but you, you know, yeah, I want to sit down and have coffee with you. I'd like to have coffee with you, but you know, <laughs> I'm coming because I'm coming here for a reason, right? Right. And so, uh, but one of our one of our biggest things. Um, is, and I actually had it happen to me again this shotgun season, is people don't like to be checked for their license. Like, yeah. Just, you know, like, I get that. Like, hey, I got to pay just as much as you. We don't get we don't get any breaks as far as that stuff. And so um, they just don't like to have their stuff, you know, yeah, I've got it. I've had it for the past 35 years, you know. Yeah. I've heard that. And then I've also heard, you know, you know, you know, I bet you're never going to believe this. And then I say, I bet you haven't been checked in 27 years. Yeah, damn right. Yeah. You know, and yeah. so you just get those sides. But um, a lot of it is, and, you know, we kind of call it our attitude test. Like, you know, if we come in there, knock on the door, hey, can we talk about a few things? You know, like, first off, they're going to be like, yeah, you know, they, one, they didn't break the hinges on my, on my door, so we'll see what they have. You know, let's we'll, we'll see what this officer knows first, you know. And, yeah. And, uh, you know, we're not just pounding on there saying, no, look, state DNR, you know. Um, Come out with your hands we're, up. Uh, yeah. We're, uh, yeah, you know, we're actually, you know, and like I said, for the most part, it's, you know, hey, you know, we got a job to do. We're trying to protect right. our resources. And, like, a lot of the stuff that we deal with is, you know, is when we, they shoot a deer, a lot of, you know, they're bow hunting. Um, there's a doe that walks in front of them, and a decent 140 walks right behind it. They stick it, and then lo and behold, they look up over the knob, and here comes the 180, right? Yeah. And you know, so then, so then they put an arrow in that one too, and then uh, you know, obviously in a roundabout way, we hear about it or whatever, and and uh, um, but you know, a lot of it is that mentality of is you know, well, you don't take claim for that deer when I smoke it with my car, so why are you charging me twenty thousand dollars for it now? Yeah, you know, and you know, and or you know, you you guys don't do much about them eating half my field, and so you know, and so what, you know, so it's it's my turn. Why can't I just do this? You know, so it's a lot of disgruntled people in it. Like I say, it's not so much maybe you yourself as the officer but just you know the uh conservation the uh, natural resources in general yeah it sounds to me like uh the people who make these mistakes know better right i mean most of the people who are breaking the laws yeah. probably know better and they're probably just yes they're frustrated that they got busted but they're probably equally frustrated in themselves that they've made a bad decision and they got busted for it. Yes. Uh, uh, yeah. Yes, absolutely. In, um, in the very end of things, it's, 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 it's actually kind of, um, it's pleasing, I guess, as far as I, so as far as I say, um, 
you you wouldn't believe after writing people tickets or after getting done with 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 the deer case, you wouldn't believe the amount of people that actually shake your hand and say thanks for doing your job. Yeah, that's awesome. You know, because they've actually realized that hey, look, you know, I I dorked up or you know, yep, you got me on this one, you know, but. After, you know, it, it has taken us three and a half hours for you to finally, you know, to finally do that. But yeah. once, once we get to where we want to be, um, you know, they're like, Hey, thanks. You know, thanks for being out there and doing, you know, I hate to be on this side of the spectrum, but you know, so, so that's always rewarding. But, uh, yeah, it's, it's, there's, there's very, very few, um, accidental issues. You know, it really is, you know, you Ah, crap. Yeah, that was intentional. You yeah. Know. Yeah. Whether or not you realize it or not. But yeah. How often do you deal with repeat offenders like guys who are out there just like they don't even care what the outcome is? They yeah. may not. E- they've may be may even made so many mistakes that they don't have a license anymore. And yet yeah. they're still going out poaching and, and harvesting animals uh, outside of the law. You wouldn't believe it. Um I, I, we, uh, I bet each county officer, I guarantee you, you probably have at least two or three of those people in each county. Uh, I mean, I have two or three of them in both of mine and it's like, yeah, like it's, it's, it, it's unreal that like, I've got one right now that's just, that's, uh, suspended. He will be for a long time and it just, they are constantly hunting still hunting and it you know it's like it's it's in their blood it's like the, you know they have to do it even though they can do it they're still going to do it and, yeah. and and um basically how our kind of deal goes is you just keep hunting under suspension to a certain time to where we'll actually file for a revocation of your license indefinitely yeah so and it, you know that's not going to change anything they're going to still keep you know i know I know one officer up in Muscatine County, he's retired now, but there was a guy that was doing that and, uh, they actually ended up getting some prison time out of it. Oh, wow. Yeah. Wow. Yep. Yeah. But it's, yeah, it's, and it's the love of the antlers. I mean, you'll learn to respect this or you obviously respect this too, but, uh, you know, it's, it's something about that, those antlers coming in that people, poachers just cannot stop doing it. They yeah. just, you know. What do you think the case is there? Why Why do you think, I mean, obviously I love a big rack, don't get me wrong, just like most people do, but what is it about a big rack that makes people go crazy to the point of breaking the law? I think it's unique, right? Like, uh, you know, you, you always, there's not one deer in this entire world, you, you, even if it's a symmetrical eight pointer, you know, there's there's a quarter of an inch difference off, you know? And so you, you, you want to maybe try to have that most unique rack. Um, and, uh, it's, it's in my mind, it's kind of like a participation award, right? Even though you didn't win the championship or whatnot, it's still, it's still saying that you were out there and you did, you know, and you participated and it's, uh, and I've, you know, I've actually interviewed guys before to where, you know, they've, they've told me, you know, why I shot this deer because it was around and I didn't want that jackass to shoot it. Yeah. You know, so guys know that there's deer around and they don't want no one else to 
shoot it. So they're going to do the best that they can, even if they have to high power it off the road, you know, they're going to be, they're They're going to be the one that shoot it. You know, that train of mind, I don't know why it's the mindset like that, but it is. Yeah. Just, it, it it's almost blinding. It almost blinds people. Yes. Man, yeah. That's crazy. That's crazy. Yeah. I mean, overall, I love, you know, I mean, when, when I can, I mean, one of, don't, I do, uh, not very often, but I do sit in the bow stand every once in a while. And, uh, and you know, I, I love that fear walking in and, you know, and it's just, your eyes are always affixed on that rack. Like, it's yeah. just, I don't know. I just, it, it's, it's, it's a gold necklace to a woman, I guess. Yeah. So. Yeah. So, how how does that work? I mean, and this is what I've never really realized. Let's say a guy goes out, he whether he spotlights it or he takes it, let's say like the the exact example that you said, he shoots the 140 and then the 180 shows up and he shoots the the 180. He whether he maybe just does a euro mount himself or uh-huh. he takes it to a taxidermist with a tag that he got from somebody or and I'm not really sure the law there uh, if because I'm pretty sure I know my t- taxidermist I have to provide the tag to them before they even take it right and that's a really yeah that's a really good taxidermist our law actually states all you have to provide them is your address and your name okay yeah mm-hmm. yeah so um it, uh I have to provide my tag and they write down the license number on it and, you know, make sure that it looks, at least looks legit. Right. Um, and I'm sure that, you know, when these guys, they take it to the tax service, they get it done, they go and hang it on their wall or they, you know, then they have to lie to people for as long as that head is on their wall about what they did. You know, Hey, you shot this in November, but there's no high powered rifle season. (laughs) And right. So they have to lie about that every single time somebody asks them about it. And to me, I think that would just get old having to make up a lie every single time. You would think, Hey, I just did one here. Um, uh, um, on new year's day, actually it was on January 1st. And, uh, I, I say that, you know, I'm making, decent cases because I'm a good officer, but I'm only good officer because people that are out there hunting these same resources and people that are out there watching um, our social media sites and all that for the same purposes that, that I do. And um, I just have, I have really good hunters and Henry and Jefferson County both. I try to protect the area. And uh, anyway, long story short, I had this mountain resident that had shot this buck and it was a 180 inch deer. It was a rather, rather large deer. And uh, uh, put it on Facebook, actually, you know, bragged about everything, and uh, which, which, as he should, you know, right. and uh, uh, I had a, I, I had a hunter who was actually muzzleloader hunting that deer and that deer only, and you know, he was very curious about it as as any of us hardworking food plotters would do. You know, he's like, hey, I'm just curious. I've been hunting that deer. Uh, he tries to reach out to to this guy. He says, "Hey, this is, I'm curious. Uh, I've been hunting that deer. I just want to know, you know, how what was a mile radius? Where where did you harvest this this deer at?" Yeah. And the uh, Facebook went silent. Yeah. The guy takes everything off. Everything's done. You know. So then, so those are the type of calls that we get. You know. So this guy calls me up and says, "Hey, this is what I got. This is all. You know, 
here's the picture, but this is all I know, you know, they've taken everything off. And, and so then that's when it's our time to start our investigation process is okay. Where was this thing harvested? You know, long story short, this non-resident harvested it in a zone that he was not supposed to be in. He didn't have a proper zone tag for that deal. Yeah. And, uh, but I say that because, you know, it's all, a lot of people, you mean, you, you tell on yourself, you know, I mean, that's, people just have to talk. They have to brag about their big deer. Yeah. Yeah. Man, it's crazy. Uh, like, I can't, I just don't understand it. Like, I, I'm so, like, for me, I'm so paranoid about the laws um, in Iowa. And one, here, here, I'll just, I'll provide an example to you about me being paranoid be, just because of this is what I do for my uh, living, right? I get, I am, I hunt and I document hunting and I talk yeah. to people about hunting every day. And I don't want to be that guy who ends up breaking some law on accident, um, that I didn't really think about or know about or look into previous to a, a specific hunt. And, I, here's here's a question, and this is, this relates um, back to me. I hunt on a active farm, it has cattle on it, it has horses on it, and um, those cattle and horses have um, you know secondary feed or a salt lick, let's say, put out onto that farm. So I'm real paranoid about hunting too close to that. Uh, those locations because I don't want to ever, you know, say, have someone say, Hey dude, uh, he's hunting over bait or he's hunting over a salt lick or something like that. How, what, what are the rules there with hunting an active farm, but also having deer use the same salt licks or feed stations as livestock? Uh, that, that, you know, it actually stays, it actually stays in the code where, as as you would think that you know a uh, normal ag- agricultural purpose like that would that is, would actually be exempted, uh, you know, being that somebody is um, putting a salt block out there for their cattle. Got you. Um, you know that's you know is there active is there active cows in that field? But you know really also again you got to look at too like if there's active cows in that field you you and i probably aren't going to be hunting that field because the deer aren't going to normally be traveling that area right right you know they there will be but not not to the extent and so a lot of times we'll have guys that you know will go well beyond the air well well beyond that baited hole uh and hunt you know and and that's one thing with our bait code is it's there there's no set definition. It would be kind of nice to kind of clear that up a little bit as far as in area. Um, I just wanted to read here. It says bait does not include livestock feed placed during normal agricultural activities. Gotcha. So I mean that would be your salt block, you know. Yeah. And uh, it would just be nice as far as you know to say you know a. You know, all bait must be removed within seven to, you know seven days prior. You know something like the federal code, just, just to kind of keep it the same. Yeah. And, uh, but yeah, but but yeah, for the most part, I don't see a whole lot of the guys hunting over the white blocks claiming that it's for the cows because one, there's 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 no cows in there. If there are cows in there, they're usually hunting down in the timber draw because they just know that you know. 
besides early morning, maybe, maybe late afternoon, deer aren't just going to travel right through there with them cows. Right, right. What are some of the laws that, let's, let's just say, honest people break without uh-huh. necessarily knowing it? They're not malicious. They're not, um, they're not like repeat offenders. They just make uh, an accident one time and you know it's their responsibility to know the rules and regulations but like a lot of people they probably don't read every single rule and regulation what are yeah. what are some of the biggest um accidental lawbreakers uh you know shooting time is kind of one of those biggest deals where they'll forget especially down in southeast iowa here they'll forget to add that four minutes the four the four minutes of yeah before of, shooting yeah. light and yeah. correct yep 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 okay so like shooting time so you have to add the plus four well, maybe right at, right in the morning they'll forget to add that plus four so there'll be like four minutes really you know kind of one of those where it's just like ah yeah I can see that you know yeah. uh, another big thing is is um, putting your tags in your pocket putting them through the washer. And then you go out to hunt your deer and then you shoot your deer and you reach in your tag and you're like, oh, no, I washed these jeans and, and the cyst shriveled, you know. Right. So then you're like, oh, no. So then you go and you buy your duplicate tag, but then now you're kind of, you know, tagging your deer past that 15 minutes. Right. And so that's kind of one of those where it's just like, hey, I really, you know, I didn't realize I washed or whatever. And, uh, um, uh, Forgetting, uh, one one of the biggest ones I've seen here last couple of years is guys who like uh, it's it's great for our revenue. The three year licenses that's super that's nice and handy, but it's also nice and handy because you don't have to buy one for the next three years. Right. So on that third year, you'll kind of forget, and then you'll be like, oh. But with the app, I think with this the new Iowa DNR app, I think we actually send reminders reminders to guys if to pay your licenses are coming up whatever yeah gotcha and so that's probably one of the biggest ones that just guys that buy those licenses well in advance and then they're just like oh crap i completely forgot about you know or habitat fee that that is by far the number one one walmart doesn't know that you know you gotta have that habitat fee and they don't ask for it so when you just walk in there and say hey i need my deer licenses for shotgun season tomorrow and that's probably at 10 o'clock at night right. you know they print you off your deer tag maybe your hunt license but they get that habitat fee yeah. and you you asked for your licenses so you really didn't check it so then you get out to your field and you're like oh crap yeah. you know and then we just remind people you know double check that before you leave the counter make sure that it says everything that you have on there yeah so in a scenario like this and i'm sure this isn't uh, a question directly for you, but you know, if the habitat fee is an option, I, and I look at this from a process, we want to try to remove any error that we possibly can. You know, and they all have those little computers. Why is a habitat fee an option? I mean, why can't it just be a mandatory click and you're done? Right. Well, um, the only thing would be is because a landowner does not need a habitat fee or anything license on their property. I gotcha. I gotcha. Yeah. And then also, uh, was it, uh, anybody over 65 does not need a habitat fee also. Okay. I gotcha. So there's, yeah, so there's a couple of stipulations that allow you to, where you don't have to have it. Um, okay. 
and that's what we hear out in the field too. You know, well, why? You know, why does it let me just buy it only? Uh, one big thing is the deer tag. You know, we'll see guys that have deer tags, but they don't have licenses or hunting license or habitat. Well, why does it let me do that? Well, because it, it does not know that you are or are not a landowner, right? Right. It's your responsibility to say, you know, hey, I'm a landowner, so I don't need to these two things. So yeah. All right. So one of the, go ahead. No, I was just gonna say, like one of another biggest thing is is guys. Uh, and a lot of guys don't know, a lot of felons don't know that, you know, they, a, a felon can actually, um, and I get this a lot with muzzle loaders. So in Iowa, the Iowa law actually, actually classifies a felon as a firearm. There's a, there's two, there's two things that really, well, there's one, it's an old time antique replica that they don't consider a firearm, which would be like your old flintlock. Yep. And so when we go and we, we interview guys, hey, did you shoot a deer with your muzzle? Well, yeah, you know, it's a primitive weapon. Like, well, no, it's actually not. And I always actually consider that it is actual weapon. And they're like, well, they let me buy a deer tag. Well, it's because our party hunting rule allows me, let's say I'm a felon, it, 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 it allows me to drive deer with your shotgun party. And if someone, if you shoot the deer for me, obviously because I can't because I'm a felon, I can actually, or I have to actually walk up and tag, put my tag on that deer. And that's my deer. I gotcha. So, so yeah. So a felon can actually buy a deer tag. They, they just can't shoot the deer. Okay. <laughs> Man, that, <laughs> I feel like that just opens up doors for people doing that. I mean, you, I hear stories every year about, you know, a 90-year-old party hunter who was out in the field, right, with her tag and uh, somebody else from maybe from uh, out of state or something was there and didn't have all the proper, you know, proper documentation, proper licensing and and tags. And then so-and-so was able to uh, tag it. You know, you you hear stories about that. And um, I understand the law is can be. Uh, both objective and subjective in, at times, and I'm sure it just makes your job a lot harder having to navigate all of those potential loopholes, so to speak. Yeah. The party hunting law is definitely one that I think all officers would say that we would like to at least clarify that up a little bit, just because that is, t- that is you know, I get a lot, a lot of our investigating during the gun season is, you know, uh, Shirley Williams' tag is on the deer, but Shirley Williams is nowhere to be around, right? Right. Like she's he's typically in the house drinking coffee. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and, and we've got guys that put that put on the mountain field, and they put Shirley in a blind, um, maybe not even, not even in the same field that um, these hunters are in, and then they shoot the deer, and then Shirley puts her book down that she was reading and walks out, you know, yeah. tags of deer or whatnot. And it's just like, well, they're not really technically not hunting, you know, but with our, our policy of them lying weight, stock pursuit, stuff like that, that's where, that's where it allows them to do that. But it's like, well, they're not hunting. Yeah. And, uh, but well, like I said, that, that's a rare occasion. One of our big things is just that, you know, I know, I know ladies that buy deer tags and then their husbands are out hunting and they're at the mall shopping. Yeah. You know, yeah, that's typically what happens. 
Yeah. Yeah. That's unfortunate that uh, people do that knowing, yeah, it's not necessarily illegal, but is it ethical? Um, Correct. And there's, Correct. you know, there's, there's a whole bunch of the, that, those type of things that are out there. And it's just at that point, you just hope that people do the right thing. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. All right. Now I want to throw some scenarios um, out there uh, for you because these are things that uh, I've had to uh, go through in my personal experience, and I want to make sure I take the right um, the right path uh, in order to make sure that uh, let's for example my trail cameras. Right, um, I've had several trail cameras stolen throughout uh, the years, uh, the last oh, like three or four years. And first, when when I am hunting a piece of property, whether it is public ground or private ground that I've got permission to, or let's even say that it, it's ground that I own. And I find that some of my trail cameras or even tree stands have been stolen. What is the first thing that I should do? Uh, the ver- very first thing, you know, contact law enforcement. I know I've got some people that will just, well, that will contact the sheriff's department, maybe because they don't know to contact the conservation officer or whatnot, but, uh, you know, contact law enforcement whether it be sheriff's department or us obviously i i say contact me because you know we can we can kind of look at that the area maybe it's an area where you know i know there's a guy that should be hunting around that area that is and so we're trying to maybe maybe put two and two together um but you know contact an officer right away and say hey this is what i got going on um you know and uh you know, can you especially mark your camera somehow? You know, is there something distinct about that camera that, you know, if we happen to have an idea of where it might be, can we follow a boot track, can we follow a tire track, can we do some investigative method that, you know, to maybe possibly knock on some door. Once we get on that door, well, obviously we're going to need a search warrant. You know, what can I put on that search warrant? As far, you know, this is the camera I'm looking for. This is what it's going to have. This is what it's going to say. Any type of information or stuff that you guys could do prior on that camera, that way if it happens to get stolen, it's just one notch where we can say, yeah, hey, look, this, you know, this, the guy saying that he marks his cameras like this, found this camera in the bedroom at this house that we have the warrant for, this is a camera, you know. Right, right. And, um, you know, what are, what are the outcomes of some of these these cases uh, where a guy says, he calls you up, says, I've had trail cameras and tree stands or whatever stolen. Um, is there a good success rate in finding those or is it just like it, it gets tough at a certain point? Uh, it's, you know, I, I would love Dan to tell you that, you know, there's, we find more than we lose more, but uh, in my 10 year career so far, unfortunately, I think I've lost more than we have. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, and it's just, you know, we're doing different things as far as investigative wise. Um, uh, you know, and if you want to know those issues, everybody just call your conservation officers, but you know, we're, we're doing different things to where we can try to get that person. And, uh, and, um, so, but the, it's <clears throat> a lot of times you have one camera there, either one camera gets taken and then, you know, it, it's just kind of tough to get that camera. Now I've had it to where I've been looking for an illegal deer and we do a search warrant at some house and we'll find, we'll find a box full of trail cameras. Normally 
you know, any person wouldn't have a box of luxury alcohol. Mm-hmm. Okay, you know, hey, let's take a look at those cameras and let's see, you know, what are their names on them? Is there stuff like that? And sure enough, yeah, you know, we've been able to, uh, you know, get those back to the right owners. I think I did one here. I did a warrant here a couple of years ago, I think. And I think you had one missing or something. And I had called you and said, hey, that. I found this camera is just, you know, and unfortunately I don't think it paired up. No, nope, uh, it didn't. <laughs> but, you know, but so that's why I said, so we'll come across a few cameras, but it's one of those where we're doing more investigative efforts now to be like, okay, well, we've got one, but you know, let's see if we can do this. Right. Right. Um, all right. So basically just call you and, and, get as much information about the the property that was stolen to you guys and then therefore basically let you start an investigation or it may help with another investigation absolutely okay yep. all yep. right now let's say the second the second thing is you're hunting a you know you're hunting a uh, piece of property and um you see someone break the law or you you're fishing and you see someone break the law. What is you know obviously if it's a it's a if it's a game violation they should probably contact you. Um, how I know that when it comes to poaching you got we guys we have the tip hotline that a guy can go. Um, like I don't have to release my name for the investigation right. to, to happen. Break down a scenario like that where I call you guys. I, I don't m- maybe know the person's name or where they live or what they're doing, but I've witnessed a, a game violation. What steps happen from there? Yeah, so um, I've, um, I, you know, I've, I actually had one here several years ago where a guy was actually bow hunting uh, a deer, and he watches a guy pull into a big CRP field, and the guy starts walking around, and he can tell he's popping squirrels every once in a while, and. Um, and uh, he sees the guy and he sees like two or three deer are running out into this tall CRP field and he hears a pop and lo and behold, he sees one of the deer fall down. And uh, so he's like, Oh my gosh, that the, the guy just shot that deer. Yeah. And um, it was obviously during bow season. It was not during 22 to 50 season. And so he, uh, so I, uh, he's actually up in the air. So he calls me right away. That's one thing that I say, Yes, we have the tip hotline, that white hunter phone number. Yes, like that's it's a good solution. Um, but the thing that I say is even better is when you pick up those regulations at Walmart or wherever you buy your license, first thing you do, go to the back of that page. That's where that's where all the county officers are uh, listed as far as their phone numbers. Put that number in your phone. That way, you can just directly call us. Yeah. You, you don't have to say what type of violation are you are you witnessing, what county are you in, what time do you witness it, none of that, because this stuff is true. I mean, it, it, it's very time sensitive. Right. And so, guy calls me, and he actually, you know, lo and behold, I was actually not too far away from where he's watching all this happens. He literally directs me right into the field where this guy is knelt over uh taking the back straps off of his deer and so yeah. uh you know so that that helped out tremendously um if we're if i a lot of there's more there's more scenarios where i'm not right near the area so 
one big thing, obviously, you know, what are they wearing? What are they driving? Um, if it, if at all possible, get a license plate number, you know, um, we, now if you're, we, we try not to tell people that it would, it wouldn't be a good idea, you know, to try to stop them or pull them over with the vehicle, you know, but can you get a, you know, can you get a license plate number or, you know, are you done hunting and they're leaving the field at the same time? Can you maybe tail them a little way, you know, not right off their butt, but, you know, right. can you tail them a ways, see where they're going? Um, you know, any little investigative help like that is crucial, but don't do it to the point to where it's going to get you killed. You, you know, yeah, or, just you know, let you guys handle it. Absolutely. Let right. us handle it, you know, but any little small detail we can, we can, you know, get from you is, you know, helps us out tremendously. So, right. So, so that's why we always tell people, especially with shiners at nighttime, you know, don't try to go out there and flag those guys down because, you know, they, um, they've got guns. Obviously just watch them shoot a deer off the road, you know, right. vehicle and direction of travel. You know, it, if, if you happen to have a pair of binos laying around and you can, you can get that license plate number. Great. If not, you know, just vehicle color description. Cause it loud muffler, you know, quiet muffler is a, is a crew cab is a single cat, you know, right. any, any small detail like that. Right. Okay. Um, anything else that the good guys out there should be aware of um, when dealing with lawbreakers? Um, you know, any other examples that you could share with us about, you know, things that you should do or steps that you should take to deal with a violator? I mean, I think sometimes coming from maybe firsthand experience, we don't right. want to be rats so to speak, you know, I think there's a lot, a lot of people that think like for me, I don't give a shit. If you, if you poach a deer, you best believe I'm going to be calling a guy and I'm going to be turning your name in. I don't care at all. Right. Um, because I, I, mostly because I want to be, I want to play by the same rules as everybody else is playing. Right. So, um, you know, let's say they, they witness a neighbor poach. Or, you know, okay. maybe someone that they've, they know or they go to church with or they have coffee with. I mean, maybe convince that guy that maybe turning them in is still the right thing to do. Right. Right. Uh, yeah. I mean, that's, you know, in, in, you said it best, you know, why do I have to play by the rules if you're not doing it? Yeah. You know, I mean, it's the same thing. And, um, um, yeah, like that's, that's that's why I was going back to basically if you can discreetly discreetly get as much info as possible and then tell us all this, you know, tell us this is what what we have going on. Um, that's, you know, here at the very start of the conversation we you we talked about, you know, um, the guys that we go and interview, you know, and do they claim up, do do they do this, you know, and, and I was saying we do all of our homework at first. You know, yeah. we do a lot of looking up. So so that's that's part of it, right? If, if it's a tip call, I'm going to do the best of my ability to put me and only me in that situation. The tip is completely confidential, so we're never going to drop a name any, anyway. Right. There is actually there has actually been cases where I have not made, and I've actually called the people back and said, hey, look, here's the deal. I cannot make physically make this unless I drop you in the, in the hat. Yeah. And I was like, I'm not doing that. You know, let's hold on to this situation. 
let's see if they, you know, let's see if they step on their toe again. And then, you know, and sure enough, nine times out of 10, then they will, they'll end up messing up again to where it's like, Hey, perfect. I can come at this angle and, you know, and, and everything's clear. So basically it's just, you know, as much discreet information that you can get without putting yourself out there. Now I've had like this last one, I was just telling you, you know, the guy reaches out to him on Facebook. He's got his name and everything on there, but you know, he's like, Hey, you know, I'm, I'm hunting that deer, you know, like what well, I've been hunting that thing for you, you know, why can't I have the opportunity? So yeah, absolutely. You know, yeah. I, you know, yeah, absolutely. So. Cool. Uh, well, we're coming up here on some time. Um, any other big things, uh, important things that, uh, we as hunters should be, uh, hunters and fishermen should be aware of or, uh, things that we can do to help you guys make, do your job better, not necessarily turning people in, but just as a whole. Yeah. Just a couple, I don't mean you had talked about it and we probably slipped, but just to kind of the reminder too, as far as, you know, you shoot a deer, and it runs on the property that you don't have permission for. Um, one, the biggest thing there is, you know, we, it is a law that you, sh- or sorry, it is a law that you shall go and make a reasonable attempt for your game. And so you have to do that. And so, um, you know, you, you have the right to go onto someone's property following a blood trail coming from the property that you have per- permission for. You have the right to go on that property. Just one, you have to do it unarmed. You cannot take a gun, a bow, anything with you. Um, and then the only thing that I say is if it's during gun season, and if they're back, if people are back in that, back in there, um, doing a deer drive at that same time, call someone, call an officer. You know, let's try to get out there. That way, nobody has to be shot. And yeah. So, yeah. What about but, a scenario, and I'm this is this is uh, elaborating, but what about a scenario where I try to do the right thing? I call the landowner first. I say, I just shot a deer. It hopped the fence. I got a good blood trail going onto your property. Can I go and track it? And they say, no, stay off my property. I had that happen more times than once. And what, what all hunters do then is you call your conservation officer you can't get a hold of them call call your sheriff's department tell them this is what this is what's going on we will meet you out in the field or meet you out there you know if that guy's not around most generally and i don't mean to pick on them but but all the cases that i've had it's non-residents who own farms and they and they don't even live here yeah and so they're back on their home state and so someone will call them just to be the nice guy, and they'll say, absolutely not. I own Iowa ground, and you're, you're not stepping a foot. And so what I'll do is I'll call them and say, you know, hey, this is Officer Anderson. This is what we got going on. I'm standing here right now. I am looking at blood in here coming from, you know, the north side of the fence going to your south side. You know, and then and I've never had one say, well, nope, you know, okay, yeah. well, you know, as long as you're there, that's fine. Okay, sounds good. You know, they just don't want, you know, somebody to be pushing a big deer. You know, what if the big boy outskirted you at 60 yards? Now you're just trying to push him back, you know, whatever. There's different scenarios. But, but yeah, no, just call, uh, if someone tells you no, call, uh, don't, you know, don't, by golly, I have the right to, I'm going to anyway. That just gets in the neighbor pissing match, right? Yeah, absolutely. 
Absolutely. Well, man, I, I feel uh, like I could sit here and chat with you all day about what yeah. you do and some different scenarios that we've all been in. But, uh, Dan, I really appreciate you taking time out of your day to sit and chit chat with us. Absolutely. Hey, one, one last thing too, I do want to say, and this is just kind of a, kind of a helps out our biologists too. as hunters make, make for sure that we are harvest reporting our deer and turkey and all that, you know, those, those things help out tremendously. And I do it every year, countless shotgun seasons now where I'll check guys and I'll, I'll kind of remember who's gotten, uh, who, who, who had a use tag and whatever. And it's still, um, it's, it's still sad to say that there's actually more people that I check that have don't call their stuff in yet. And that, that information helps out so much, especially with the EHD we have going on. Right. And then now, now C, now CWD, like all of that stuff helps. Yeah, absolutely. And that's uh, two good points. Uh, I've definitely talked with biologists about the, the CWD and the EHD, but I, um, I want to get you on again at some point and talk about the law enforcement side and the reporting yeah. side of EHD. And um, because I heard, um, second, this is secondhand information, a guy down in Van Buren County talked to an officer and he told me that, you know, about 10% get reported. 10% of the cases of EHD get reported and they reported like 600 deer. That's like 6,000 dead deer in one County due to EHD. Right. So that's, that to me, that's a crazy, crazy number. Yeah. Yeah. Large number. Yeah. And, and, and they are right too. Yeah. Summer, a lot of people don't. And, and it, you know, a lot of them are the farms that are farmers and they don't really want to report them because you know, they, the, there's still deer out there that eat, eat their corn. And so that's why, you know, we're just trying to find a natural balance. Right. Absolutely. All right. Well, it sounds to me like we're going to have to do this again then. Oh yeah. That sounds great to me. I know these guys work really hard and they're really busy. So a huge shout out to Dan for hopping on the podcast and chit chatting with us about what he does uh, throughout his day. And, you know, If you're listening to this and you feel that it's frustrating to have to get your tag out of your pocket and show these guys, if you ever get tagged, I've seen it so many times um, in the world of fishing. Maybe you're at a boat landing or these guys come up to you on the river or a lake and they ask to see your ID and your flotation device. Cut these guys some slack. They're, They're just trying to do their job and protect us from ourselves and us from other people and you know balance the resource all at the same time so uh you know give them a break and just whip your tag out and show them uh, I, i've seen it firsthand and it's almost embarrassing to watch so there's that other than that huge shout out to, to bond durant custom furniture go to bronddurantcustomfurniture.com check them out And, uh, you know, I got to say this, make sure that you guys are subscribed to the magazine, right? It's dirt cheap and you can go ahead and get a ton of great information from the magazine. Go to the iowasportsman.com. So it's iowasportsman.com. Tons of great information here. Make sure you are subscribed to the Iowa Sportsman podcast. And now you're hitting it three different ways. You got the website, the magazine, and the podcast. Tons of great information, not only from the state of Iowa, but the principles from this content can be used really anywhere in the Midwest. 
So uh, subscribe, follow along, read up, enjoy, and we will talk to you guys next time.